company of the Lord here together. I really appreciate that. Um, I think uh, as we're uh, often we're driving the Illawarra Highway to get to family up here, Southern Highlands, or get down to Wagga, um, my prayers won't be just generally about Robertson. Um, there'll be people's names that we know we've come to love, and, and it's been great just to be with you for this time. Thank you. Um, you're going to be in better hands next week. <laughs> uh, Gary will come, uh, Nelson will come, and he'll be the one uh, being our acting rector for the next bit. Uh, today we're looking at Psalm 130, and you'll find that in your bulletin is the psalm with some headings there that you might like to, to follow through as I go through the psalm, just to pull it together in your mind and something to hook your, your thoughts upon. Um, as we look to the psalm, let me just open with prayer. Our loving Father, we thank you that you have spoken clearly to us through your word and very clearly through your Son. And we thank you, Lord, that you long that we come to know you and to love you and to trust you. And that knowledge grows day by day, year by year. So as we look to your word this morning, may your spirit work a work of grace in our hearts, a work that draws us nearer to you, that opens our hearts and loves and love and mind to you. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we're looking at Psalm 130 this morning. Um, most of you, I think, would have heard of John Bunyan. Okay, this is a little bit of an age thing, I think. Okay, who's heard of John Bunyan? Oh, okay, and what comes to your mind immediately when I mention the word, the name John Bunyan? Pilgrim's Progress, is it not? Who's, who's heard of Pilgrim's Progress? Now there's a couple of, it's out, it's been produced again in a little bit more up-to-date language and so forth. It's a great book. It's a great book to give to your teenage kids, can I tell you, uh, to get and have a read. It really is a great story that, that uh, John Bunyan's put together who spent years in prison for his commitment to the gospel in England. Um, and John Bunyan says it was Psalm 130 that really touched his heart and life and he turned to Christ. Psalm 130 was the key that the Lord used. Uh, most of us maybe would have heard of John Wesley. And John Wesley, it was through the, the little booklet that came out of Luther's introduction to the epistle to the Romans that he read. But Wesley says the day before he read that book, he was attending St. Paul's Cathedral there in, in, in St. Paul's Church there in, in London, and it was Psalm 130 was the reading. And he said, that touched my heart and caused the fire. And as I read about salvation by faith alone, grace alone, Luther's book on Romans, it, he came to Christ and committed himself to Christ. This particular psalm, you know how we've looked, as we look at each psalm, it, the psalm gives us an idea of its setting. Uh, when and where it was written. They weren't all written by David. There's others written by Solomon, others written by other people. We don't know exactly who wrote this psalm. But we do know, as we read the psalm and look at its context, that the psalm was written after the people who had been taken into exile when Jerusalem was flattened by the Babylonians. They took whoever was left into exile into Babylon. They were there for 50 years it was there in Babylon that people like uh, Nehemiah, Daniel were raised up as prophets and spoke God's word and talked of the 
promises that God was going to make of restoring his people back eventually to Jerusalem. And this has now occurred. And during that time of that 50 years, the people began to understand what their sin and rebellion really was against God, that the judgment was a right and proper judgment, but that God was a God of forgiveness and mercy and grace. And they'd begun to experience that mercy and grace as they were brought back to Jerusalem again. And it's back here in Jerusalem with the rebuilding of the temple and so forth that this psalm is a psalm that was written. It was written by a person, as we seem to gather in the personal. However, it's a psalm that's picked up by the whole body of Christ. It's picked up by the community as they come to worship the Lord. And it's a psalm that expresses all that they've been through in their captivity, the reason for it. Yes, that was the reason. What have we understood from that? Where are we now in our faith and commitment? What is the future now holding for us? That's what this psalm pulls together for us. It divides up into four parts, this psalm does. And out of a commentary written by Philip Everson, I've picked out his four headings is what I've done. They're not mine, they're his. I'm no, I'm no good at finding headings that everything starts with C or starts with B or does something else like that. That's not really me, I'm afraid. I generally just pick out what the Bible's saying in it. But it does help to hold it together, I think it's quite clear. So the first couple of verses is, is the cry out of the depth. Then is the confession, but with you there is forgiveness. There's the confidence and in your word I put my trust and there's the communication. Israel, put your hope in the Lord. It just helps to hold it in your head. I find otherwise I've got nothing to hang my thoughts on and I just lose them. So let's look at the psalm together. The cry out of the depths. Out of the depths I cry to you, Lord. Hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive for, to my cry for mercy out of the depths. As human beings, we find it virtually impossible to say, I was wrong. Am I right or not? If there's someone who stands up and says amongst us, I always admit I'm wrong every time and I take the blame for it all, we would tell you to sit down again. Would you believe such a person? Not on your life. We know our own hearts, don't we? We know our own hearts, yes. And therefore, it's not until things are so desperate that you have tried everything possible that comes to your mind to get out of it and nothing has worked that you get to the point of out of the depths, out of the depths. The people of Israel... God's prophets had spoken to them over and over again. The word of God was clear. Turn from idols, turn back to me. They flatly refused and believed they had everything under control. And eventually the Babylonians were sent and they came and conquered them and took them off into captivity. And they gradually came to see and to recognise what their sin really was and what their rebellion against God really was and as they began to see that and to recognise that, they eventually came to the point of crying out to the Lord for mercy, for mercy. The sad thing is, as human beings, we're often got to be, we often got to go to the very bottom 
before we give up on ourselves and cry out for mercy and cry out for mercy. They'd recognised their sin. It had been a hard road for them, but they gradually recognised. We would do anything but really recognise our sin. As human beings, I think one of the illustrations that I I had when I was uh, much younger that helped me to grab this uh, was to realise that um, it's, Jesus said, it's by, the, by their fruits you will know them. And therefore, when you think about it, um, if we were to be given a, an, an apple tree to take home today and to plant it, it would have a label on it, apple tree. Do you say, okay, you believe it's an apple tree, so you plant it. Um, eventually it grows and eventually it produces apples. So when the apples come, you don't say, oh, beaut, now I've got an apple tree. Now, you had an apple tree all, the, all along. The apples don't make it an apple tree. The apples just prove what sort of tree it is. So you have to realise sin doesn't make you a sinner. Sin just proves you are a sinner. Does that make sense? The fruit tells you who or what you really are is what it does. It doesn't make you, it's the proof of what you are. And that they began to recognise that their sin was the proof that they are sinners and that they and something drastic had to happen. And just pulling the fruit off the tree as it comes doesn't stop it being an apple tree. That's what we often try to do as human beings. I, I try to live a good life. I try to do the right thing. Do you know, Lord, I try all of this. It doesn't change it. That doesn't change who you really are deep down within at all. You're still in rebellion. You're still against me. The only way is what Jesus said to Nicodemus. Unless a man is born again, you cannot see the kingdom of heaven. The tree has got to be taken out and a new one planted. And that's what we have in Christ Jesus. Through his death and through his resurrection, there is new life in Christ Jesus. And through the working of the Spirit in our hearts and lives, there is now fruit on the tree of love, joy, peace, self-control, all the fruits of the Spirit. And that just proves what sort of tree, what sort of grace is being worked in your life. And these people had to come to that bottom road, the bottom depth, out of the depths, and to cry out and to understand that only God himself could make this change the change that was needed. Um, Back in November, October, November, you were looking at Paul's epistle to the Ephesians. And let me remind you of chapter 2. As for you, you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit that is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them as at at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following the, the desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy, God who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace that you have been saved.
That's where Paul has summed up all that we're talking about here. The cry out of the depth and the confession. If you, Lord, kept a record of sins, Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness so that we can, with reverence, serve you. What is God mostly concerned about? He's mostly concerned about our sin and rebellion and our broken relationship with him. That's what God is mostly concerned about. I, I think, I, I would hope that the majority of us would say, yes, I understand that. Um, things can go wrong, um, things can break down, other things can happen. But when relationships are broken, um, husband, wife, children, parents, grandparents, aunties, uncles, you know, friends, when relationships are broken, that really hurts me. Do you? Uh, because we've been, we've been made in God's image to know him and to love him and to have an open relationship with each other. And therefore, we, we hope and pray we never get to the point where broken relationships never hurt us. That's a sad situation to be in, isn't it? A very sad situation. And here with God's people to understand what that broken relationship really, really means. And he says, Lord, if you kept a record of sins, if you kept a record of sins, what he's saying is, is Lord, if you had a record that's playing over and over and over and over and over, it, it's hard to imagine how terrible that would be. Um, every so often we ourselves, I'm sure, and others, um, you've done something against and you've sought forgiveness and forgiveness is given and it's not easy when you're reminded of it uh, even years later, is it? It's dragged up again. And what the writer saying, Lord, Lord, if you kept a record of sin, we have nowhere to stand. We would have no hope whatsoever, no hope whatsoever there would be how could we stand before the judge we know we are guilty we know deep down that that's who we are and what we are and for the judge of all the earth if if he if there was no forgiveness from you then there is absolutely no hope whatsoever remember a passage that we've read over the last couple of Sundays that's popped up but from Jeremiah 31, this is the, the, the prophecy concerning when Christ comes and the new kingdom. Who are we? What are we? How is God's spirit going to work amongst us? He says, there is no, long, no longer will they teach their neighbours or say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their wickedness and they will remember, and will remember their sins no more. There is forgiveness. There is forgiveness. In Old Testament times, God says there is forgiveness. The whole of the Old Testament is pointing towards where the, the true sacrifice will be made, and, th and that's in his Son, our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Everything before is pointing towards here. And therefore, the sacrifices were offered. The life was taken instead of your life taken in your place and the life of the sacrifice was taken. The hand was put on the sacrifice, identifying this ought to be me, this ought to be me. And the sacrifice was offered week after week, day after day, constantly covering 
our sin and our guilt. But when Jesus came, the fulfilment of the Lamb of God, his sacrifice was once for all. He who knew no sin became sin for us, gave himself as the sacrifice for us, paid that penalty in full. The ransom is paid in full. There is nothing outstanding. There is no payment outstanding. It is just mind-blowing when you think about it, you know, that, that our sin, our, our separation from God, it is no light matter at all. It's a terrible matter, that brokenness. And it was God's only son who could take that penalty and take that guilt and loved us to the point of doing that, that the penalty is now declared, it is finished, it is paid in full. As Daniel had said to these people when they were back there in Babylon, he says, the Lord our God is merciful and forgiving even though we have rebelled against him. That was part of the words of the prophet to encourage them to move forward. There is forgiveness through the death and resurrection of Jesus. Sin is no minor matter, no minor matter. You know, often it, it, we, it's hard for us sometimes as human beings to grab this. Um, one of the things that came back to me as I was looking at this again is that I, I come from four boys, right, a family of four boys, uh, we could all run faster than our mother when we were very small. We had no problem with that. Uh, we lived in a suburb of Sydney, uh, and just a block away was the was bush, and we spent made about most of our time down the bush. Um, the side street was just a dirt road on the side street, and often the grass was growing up. So if you needed to do something, and something was desperately needed to be done, Mum wanted, you could shoot out the gate and just lie flat in the grass. Mum would come to the back door and shout out, uh, where are you? Um, her false teeth would rattle a bit so she'd give up after a while. And you knew you were okay and off down the bush you'd go. And thankfully we had a mum who would tend to forget about it, except there was once or twice, this is very unfair and should never be done, um, but she would come and give us a smack in the bath because that was the way to at least to have us under control uh, as kids, right? Uh, and we all got it because we all deserved it. Um, we were told at that point, yeah, yeah. Uh, but it, was, it wasn't until I was a, a much older teenager that I began to reflect and to understand the wear and tear that that was on my mother. We don't grab it, do we? Right? We really don't grab it. And we don't grab the wear and tear on God our Father, do we? Our love, his love and mercy and grace, we just throw that in his face. And, and the Bible talks about the heart of God, isn't it? The heart of God, where his love and care and still reaches out to us, just like your mother still reached out to you. And so here. And so therefore to know that that forgiveness that there is in Christ and that we're now, we're now free to love him and to serve him. We're now free to understand who he is and what he is and to do those things that please him, knowing that he's the creator and the sustainer and therefore his guidance is, is the one that leads to real peace and joy. Do you know? It's interesting where you find out later sometimes in life that your mother and father actually knew something and that therefore what they were suggesting was really a good thing to do. <laughs> it takes a while to grab that sometimes. 
and that was worth it. And it takes us a while sometimes to figure out that God actually knows what he's talking about, you know. He's made us and he's made us for himself to know him and to love him. And that's where we find who we are and what we are in Christ Jesus, do you know. And therefore it's wonderful as you come to know this forgiveness in Christ and claim this forgiveness in Christ and claim God's love and mercy and grace that you're now free to be who God has made you to be. And that's to know him and to love him and to know each other and to love each other, isn't it? To love God with all your heart, mind, soul and strength and to love your neighbour as yourself. And then there's the words of confidence that come from all of this in verses 5 and 6. I wait for the Lord, my whole being waits. And in his word I put my hope. I wait for the Lord more than watchmen wait for the morning, more than watchmen wait for the morning. There's tremendous confidence in these words. The watchman waiting for the morning, yeah, the night is long if you've ever done. Um, for about nine months I worked ten at night to six in the morning, you know, and then studied in the afternoon. And so by the time it was getting through the night, I was waiting for the morning. <laughs> and you're waiting for the morning light, isn't it? And, you, and there's an assurance that it's going to come. We still feel as though the world's still spinning. Okay, the sun's going to come up at some point. It's, it's some assurance that something's going to happen. And that's what this is saying. There is assurance that God is going to fulfill his promise. He's going to fulfill his word. In, therefore, it's in his word that I can put my whole trust and I can put my whole confidence because I know he's going to fulfill that word just as the watchmen wait for the morning. You know, there is that assurance of waiting for the morning. And I will wait upon the Lord just as the watchmen wait. Why? Because I've put my word, I've put my trust in his word. I believe what he says and I'm now convinced and I'm going to live that way through his mercy, through his grace and through the gift of the Holy Spirit. And there's a hunger to know him and to know him better and to love him and to trust him. You know, when, when you start to make a, a friendship with someone and, and you really get to know each other a little bit, there, there's some special joy in getting to know a little bit more about each other, isn't there? There's just that little bit of joy and, and a bit of vulnerability begins to come if that's going to happen. You've got to be open and vulnerable. And it's interesting, as you read the scriptures, as you read these psalms, it's very open out on the table, <laughs> very vulnerable, very transparent. That's how God is to us and that's how God longs that we could know and understand and to be with him. Put our trust and confidence. Micah 7, 7. But as for me, I watch in hope for the Lord. I wait for God my Saviour. My God will hear me. And Isaiah says, Lord, be gracious to us. We long for you. Be our strength every morning and our salvation in time of distress. And then there's the communication. Let's together. You can see how they've been working through this psalm, singing this psalm together as the body of Christ there in Jerusalem, remembering where they've come from, what the Lord had taught them back there, what they've now experienced of God's forgiveness and mercy and grace. And now we're here giving God the praise and glory. They shout out and say, Israel, put your hope in the Lord, for with the Lord is unfailing love and with him is full redemption. He himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. 
looks, it's as, it's as though you get to the bit in the song where you stand around, look at each other and say, hey guys, we've all now said this is true. This is the truth concerning God and his love and mercy and grace. Forgiveness, grace, this is it. What does this now mean? Okay, let's encourage each other now. Let's encourage each other to grow and to move and to share this love, to share this mercy, to share this grace. And the way, the ultimate way it really is shared by living a life that pleases the Lord. Living a life unto God is going to mark you out as different in the world. It's, it's the culture is the culture of God, not the culture of the world, not the culture of me. It's the culture of living for God and living for our neighbour. That's a totally different culture. And that's what needs to be seen in the world. And that's what let's encourage each other, put our hope in the Lord. And with him is unfailing love. Let's demonstrate who we are in Christ Jesus, live the life that he calls us to be. And let's long that others will come to know this hope, this salvation, this forgiveness, this trust, and know him in the way that he's made himself known to us. What a price was paid, the death of God's one and only Son. What a forgiveness we have. Sin forgiven, full stop. What a hope we have. Death is conquered. Life is ours in Christ Jesus our Lord. Once it was, we were in the depths, once we were in the depths where sin had its grasp of us. But now we're in grace. We're in overwhelming joy, a new life that we have with a sure hope in Jesus Christ. Micah, that we read, who is a Lord like you, who pardons sin and forgives the transgression of the remnant of his inheritance. You do not stay angry forever, but delight in showing mercy. You will again have compassion on us. You will tread our sins underfoot and hurl all our iniquities in the depths of the sea. At my time as a teenager growing up uh, in our youth fellowship, um, I remember this well, this particular part, and where people would say, okay, your faith and trust is in Jesus. He has paid that penalty once for all on the cross, and your sin has been thrown into the depths of the sea. Just remember that God then puts up a sign, no fishing here. Have you got it? No going back, brother. That's what God has done with it. That's where he's put it. Live in the light of God's action and love and grace for you. Let me pray. Oh, Father, we thank you for this word. We thank you, Lord, for the way you worked in the lives of those people all those years ago who'd come back from Babylon and how, Lord, they out of the depths they understood what that had been uh, they, uh, they now understood what forgiveness was uh, they now understood what it means to live with their life committed to you and what the joy and privilege that is and they now had hearts filled they longed to share that love and share that grace and father continue to work that love that work of mercy and grace in our lives we pray for in Jesus name